This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are indeed among friends. Documentary filmmaker Ali Siadatan is here to discuss Gods of the Nations, the influence of the fallen angels over the ancient world and the civilized world after Christ right up to the present day. Their connection to the modern day UFO and alien abduction phenomenon. Carlos Cagina is the technical producer. Ryan White is the live stream producer. And yes, we're live streaming on my YouTube channel, Strange Planet. Please pay us a visit there and hit the red sub uh, sub button. Now, before we get rolling here, I want to read a letter that has been circulating in some of the Greek Orthodox churches uh, throughout the GTA. The author is a mystery, although I, I have a mis- uh, I, I have a, a suspicion as to who it is, but I'm not going to divulge that. Uh, nevertheless, let me read this quote: "For it is a commandment of the Lord not to be silent at a time when the faith is in jeopardy." Speak, Scripture says, and hold not thy peace. That's from St. Theodore the Studite. And on November the 11th, Remembrance Day, a couple of weeks ago here in Canada, many Christians in Canada also commemorate St. Theodore the Studite, who left us with many pearls of wisdom, including the important quote above. And how is our faith not currently in jeopardy? We are human beings created in the image of God. And while our humanity at first compelled us to obey the lockdowns to protect each other, today our humanity is being intentionally attacked and diminished by dark forces. We are being told to cover our faces, to restrict our breathing, to stay away from each other, to socially impair our children, to let our sick die alone, to delay our medical checkups, to shutter our businesses and endanger our livelihoods, and to turn our entire lives upside down. Even worse, we are being told by our lawmakers that our houses of worship 
our spiritual hospitals are not essential to our lives. A direct attack on our humanity. And lastly, most devastating to our humanity, the lockdowns around the world are triggering mass poverty and unimaginable loneliness, pain, hunger, and untimely death. All this is antithetical to our Christian faith. Since the very beginning, this so-called pandemic has strained credulity. Now, many months later, the real, untainted data has confirmed both the exaggerated nature and the mismanaged handling of this crisis. A novel coronavirus, but from a familiar family of viruses for which we have some innate immunity. A mortality rate very similar to seasonal flu, also as confirmed by many epidemiologists. A widely adopted testing threshold poorly suited for live virus detection, but perfectly suited for case inflation. A widely adopted liberal approach to recording mortality, but perfectly suited for death inflation. A much hyped, incredulous, and oft-repeated mantra that, quote, life will return to normal after the vaccine, end quote. A vaccine that will forever alter the DNA of human beings while supposedly protecting against a virus with a 99% survival rate. A host of promising medicines and treatment protocols for the infected that have been suppressed and unduly rejected and kept from us by the medical establishment. Unfortunately, our Christian love for neighbor has been used against us, and our compliance with all of the measures to date and our collective silence has unintentionally and mistakenly signaled our, signaled our willingness to accept the new normal. We should not accept it. Globalist oligarchs posing as philanthropists cannot hide their giddiness as our world is pushed towards the brink of chaos and towards mass mandatory vaccination and transhumanism. Our leader in Ottawa seems gleeful and dutifully participatory in our own country's social and financial destruction with the same push towards globalist agendas that do not benefit Canadians. And local leaders accept billions of dollars in assistance while doling out funds in the hopes that this assuages our loss of humanity and the attack on our faith. We should not accept this. Uh, the letter then goes on to encourage uh, people to attend the prayer demonstration that took place this afternoon at the Ontario Legislature, Queen's Park. It took place today at three o'clock. It ends with our humanity is our strength. Our faith is our calling. And the time has come to hold not our peace. I thought that was worth sharing with you. My uh, guest for the full two hours tonight, Ali Siadatan, produced a documentary, I believe it's uh, now over a decade ago, called UFOs, Angels, and Gods, in which he set out to solve the UFO mystery. And he unveiled the UFO presence throughout the ages and in the Bible. 
And so we are going to discuss that, as I say, for the next two hours. Ali is the founder of Think Again Productions in Canada, a multimedia teaching ministry shedding light on mysteries and treasures of scriptural knowledge, which is making the Bible more real than ever. Ali has found evidence keeps agreeing with the Bible's tale from biblical cities peering through the sand to alien abductions and prophetic events. In 2006, ah, more than 10 years ago, Think Again Productions released the groundbreaking documentary UFOs, Angels, and Gods. On Google Video, it received 270,000 views in nine months. His research into UFOs has inspired him to work on a work of fiction in progress, as well as a secondary documentary on the rise of the Antichrist, titled Goliath Rising, Hybrids, Nephilim, and Titans. Ali Siadatan. Welcome back to Conspiracy, uh, The Conspiracy Show. How are you, my friend? Uh, fine, thank you, Richard. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to, to the show. So, when we think of the gods, yes. the gods that are mentioned in the Bible, gods plural, we, today, looking back, we tend to think of the gods as, for example, the Greek gods of the Greek pantheon or the uh, the Greek mythology. We think of gods as legends and mythology, but it is your contention that the gods of the ancient world were actual beings, correct? They were real. Yes. Um, there's kind of a, a, a process, if you will, a story that brought that perspective to our mind. I mean, it's it's true. We all are living in this idea that there is all these fairy tales, all these myths uh, that the Greeks had and the Romans had, and and you know people before them and after them, and the Egyptians, been, the Mayans. Yeah, the Mayans, the Mesopotamians, the Egyptians, really the Persians, the Indians, the Chinese, all of the polytheistic tradition of humanity that has lasted for thousands of years longer than monotheism, all of that, you know, everything before the time of monotheism, before the time uh, of Christ, is all just fairy tales. You know, you can call it myth, but that's what myth implies for us, mythos. Um, and that we're functioning in that worldview, and suddenly uh, we're looking into this whole UFO phenomenon, and it appears very real and very well documented, and the mind turns to the past to all of these tales of flying uh, beings, whether they be angels in the Bible or gods um, in, in, in the pagan traditions, and not to say that they were aliens, no, just to say that they too seem to have displayed the same qualities. They come from another place. They come from the heavens. They visit the nations. They visit the earth. They have their own chariots. And so as you were looking and pondering these things, and uh, the reality of it uh, was coming to life. I was walking into a study. We were studying the Bible. And the gentleman who was leading it, he said to me, you know, uh, I know where the throne of Satan is. And I said, really? You know where the throne of Satan is? He said, yes. It's in the city of Pergamum. And I thought, really? Where did you get that from? And so he showed me that in Revelation chapter 2, when one of the letters that the Lord writes to seven congregations you know, people don't realize that Jesus wrote letters, not just Paul and Peter and Jude and John, but Jesus himself wrote seven letters to seven uh, congregations in Asia Minor. But these letters are tucked away 
um, in the beginnings of the book of Revelation. And so it's not a book that we, we read often. It's very mysterious, very hard to understand. So we don't realize these letters are there. And in one of these letters to the church of Pergamum, um, the Lord says, you know, the throne of Satan is there, and he mentions it twice. And so I thought, okay, I need to look into this. And when I went into um, the University of Toronto as a graduate student in 1996, 1997, I uh, was doing graduate studies at UFC. I, have, I had access to the magnificent library system. I found out that, that yes, Pergamum was, in fact, you know, a, a city that had been excavated by Carl Human who was a German, uh, you know, engineer-turned-archaeologist, and he had found something magnificent there that he had unearthed. It was the altar of Zeus. And he said in his notes that if there was anything that ever, you know, that Christ may have spoken of that was literal, that was in that city, it must have been this altar. And so it's interesting because the altar of Zeus was the most important altar to Zeus in the entire Greco-Roman world all the way till the ends of the Western Roman Empire, sacrifices were commissioned in that altar, sometimes 24-7. It was seen as the main altar of the chief, you know, spiritual force behind this incredible empire, the Greco-Roman world. And so it was a great place of great importance, and, in, and, and the, the congregation that was there, they were arrested because they were claiming monotheism, they refused to worship, you know, Zeus, and they were right living in the city. The leader, Antipas, that the Lord refers to, was taken into this altar and put in a brazen bull, because the symbol of Zeus was the bull, and he was boiled, he was burnt, while he was in this, you know, bronze bull. They heated it from underneath, and the cries of... The sacrifices offered to Zeus, that was the idea, you know, the one who transgressed had been sacrificed, the, the monotheists were being, you know, speaking against the polytheists. The voices, the cries, the pains would come out of the mouth of the bull, energizing it and bringing it to life, and everyone could hear it. Apparently, church historians record that Antipas prayed for his congregation um, as he was cooking inside of this bull until his last breath. And so, no, just, Ali, yeah. just uh, let me let me just uh, remind people. Then the the connection here is that the throne of Satan, Jesus must have been referring to the altar of Zeus because this is the most prominent uh, religious, if I can use that word, uh, location in Pergamum. He must have been referring to the altar of Zeus when he called it the throne of Satan. It seemed to us, and so. The Carl Human agreed as well, the archaeologist, so I thought, that's interesting. I, I photocopied it, I brought it to him, and I said, look, even the archaeologist who dug it up thinks that this is what Christ must, must have been referring to. And so the question then came to our minds, what, is, is the Lord making a connection here between the chief uh, of the pantheon of the Greco-Roman world, you know, Zeus, known as Jupiter to the Romans, and and Satan, the chief of the fallen angels, is that why he's brought us to this passage? Is that why he's connected this altar and Satan to this deity of the Greeks and the Romans? And if so, then could there be a connection between the gods of the ancient world and these fallen angels? Is that what he's pointing to? And so with that idea, what I did is I um, printed out all the passages in the Old and New Testament where the word gods was referred to. And I began to read them, and to my surprise, 
I, I found over 500 passages. I haven't, I have never counted how many they were. I stop always counting at 500. And so I started to read it at once. And as I started to pour into this, I realized this is so interesting because it compares, it presents the God of Israel as the leader of these multitude of beings. He's called the God of gods. It's one of the titles given to him. And I thought, why would God be called the God of mythological beings? Um, in these beings, these gods, are admonished. They, they are judged, like in, in the story of the Exodus, that God comes and he will walk you know, in Egypt and he will judge the gods of Egypt. And I thought, why would God judge mythological beings? They are told to worship God, like in Psalms 97, verse 7 and 9. They are told to worship God. And you think, why would these beings be instructed to worship God? And it says that God judges among the gods. And I thought that in this sense it means rules, not in the, not in the sense of in Exodus where he comes to carry out judgment, but he rules among the gods. And I thought, why would he rule among mythological beings? And suddenly the whole perspective began to change, and there was the reading these hundreds of passages in one sitting, just the whole, like a blindness that's removed, it poured into my mind, and I realized, wow, these passages are talking about real beings. These guys were real. Now a lot of things are coming into focus, like Daniel chapter 10 talks about an angel that brings a message to Daniel from the throne of the universe, and he's intercepted by the principality that's behind the Persian Empire, the Prince of Persia, he's called. And then he goes to fight the Prince of Greece. And I thought, of course, these beings would be real. This would make sense. Or when Satan says to Jesus in his temptations, all the kingdoms of the earth have been given to me. I have dominion over all of them, he says, and he says, I'll give them to whomever I please, and I'll give them to you if you worship me. So, and wait a minute. In other words, God made a deal with these gods, small g, plural, divvied up the world, and said, you can, you'll have dominion over these nations, except for one, I'm guessing, and that would be, because all countries... Uh, all nations seem to have, and all civilizations have, uh, these origin stories and the role of gods in their origin, uh, except the, Israel. They, they never talked about, you know, gods. It was one god, right? Well, that's so, where the story was going. So suddenly these pastors are coming to life, and Daniel and... And, and the story of the conversation between the Savior and Satan, it's all coming to life. And I was, I was pondering this. I remembered Chuck Missler, who I'd interviewed for my documentary, he used to always say, you know, there is a passage in the Bible that talks about the sons of God, but you won't see it in the Bible we all use. You have to read it in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Bible done several hundred years before the time of Christ, from Hebrew to Greek, a very important copy used by the disciples, used by the early church, quoted by Jesus himself, a very important copy. And and he, there he talked about Deuteronomy 32, verse 8 and 9. And I thought, oh, yeah, i got to go look that up. So I brought it up, and I looked at it, and it said that when God divided the nations and set their boundaries, which happened at the Tower of Babel when he divided the nations, he did it according to the number of the sons of God, the Bene Ha'elohim, 
which is an idiom for these beings, these divine beings. We see it even, even in the book of Job. It says that when the earth was created, the sons of God cried out for joy. So they were here even before us. And I thought, okay, so the world was divided and the boundaries were set according to the number of these beings. And God, it says, chose Jacob as his own inheritance. This is Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 8 and 9. And suddenly now that became like a foundation stone. It made sense. If these, there had been a division and God had you know, given the nations to the control of these beings and chosen Jacob for himself through which he was going to bless all the families of the earth, now this became the cornerstone. Chuck never saw the importance of this in the context of the story of these beings. But this passage was more than just about the sons of God. It was a key passage. Now everything made sense. Why Daniel had these principalities behind the nations. Why Satan was talking to the Lord and saying, look, I have dominion over all the polytheistic pantheons, as you point to. This passage brought them to life. They were not just you know, random beings, and I thought, this is incredible, and now I had the confidence to say, okay, these beings are real, and I could look deeper into, you know, what did they do to the nations, who they were, and and we went ahead and we did the research, and I look forward to sharing it with your audience tonight, and then the documentary was released in 2006, and that year, something incredible happened. God gave me a sign that sealed the whole matter and confirmed this whole thing, and this was the sign. A store opened right where I was working, and it only sold magazines. I went to see what this new store was, and as I was looking through the magazines, I saw one called Biblical Archaeology. It was the May-June issue of 2006. And I thought, oh, Biblical Archaeology, that's right up my alley. I picked it up, and there was a picture of the altar of Pergamum on it, and it said Satan's throne. And I thought, wow, "Wow, someone's talking about this. So I opened it up. And it was an article, an interview, in-depth interview about this whole thing, and it said, yes, the book of Revelation had a beautiful picture of this altar, which is now in Berlin. And it was an interview with Adela Collins, a uh, theologian from Yale Theological Seminary, from Yale University. And then suddenly, as I'm reading this whole thing about the altar, she says, You know, when the Most High gave each nation its heritage, declares Deuteronomy 32, verse 8, when he divided all mankind, he laid down the boundaries for peoples according to the sons of Israel. A Dead Sea Scroll fragment containing this verse above, however, has the phrase, sons of God, instead of sons of Israel. The Dead Sea Scroll fragment apparently retains a more original form of the text, the Septuagint, the 3rd to 2nd century B.C. translation of the Hebrew Bible into Greek, also has sons of God. The early church father, Justin Martyr, who apparently used a text that preserved sons of God, believed that these sons of God were angels to whom God had entrusted the care of human beings. Justin Martyr also believed, based on Genesis 6, which, which tells of the sons of God taking human women as wives, that the offspring of the sons of God and the woman were demons. And so it goes on and on. And this whole idea suddenly, not only was she covering the idea of the altar, but she was also pointing to the fact that this passage in Deuteronomy, in fact, does say sons of God in the oldest, most renowned copies. 
And she added what I didn't know. That Hang on, Ali, I've got to jump in. We, uh, we've, we've got to take a, a break. We'll come back and we'll pick up on that. Uh, we'll also talk about what changed 2,000 years ago that created this upheaval that, that ushered in the age of monotheism. Back with more of my conversation with Ali Siadatan as we discuss Gods of the Nation right here on The Conspiracy Show. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Ali Siadatan from Think Again Productions. Thinkagainproductions.com. UFOs, Angels, and uh, Gods. That is the uh, the documentary. It's been out now nearly 15 years. Uh, but we uh, we sort of continue to unravel or unveil this this mystery, uh, the origin of, of UFOs, the modern-day UFO phenomenon, the modern-day alien abduction phenomenon, how that fits into the biblical narrative, how it connects to the gods, small g, plural, the gods of the ancient world. So these, these fallen angels, the, the, the princes, the principalities of the air, that ruled over the nations of the world. Uh, let's talk a little bit about their influence. Presumably, they they gave these nations technology. They gave these nations rules by which to live. They gave these nations their rulers. Did they not? Did they not give them earthly kings? It seems so. It seems so. This this sign that God gave us, you know, confirmed that the oldest Hebrew copy, the ones found in the Dead Sea scrolls also read sons of god being being behind these nations and we knew the sons of god were being real beings because that was clear so now it was easy to look into history and say if these guys were real beings what was their influence what how had they con- connected to the ancient world now that i could take the stories of the gods the myths like you said uh, seriously, I could read and say, yes, you know, this particular king, like Hammurabi, you know, he received one of the most ancient law codes after the time of the flood, the code of Hammurabi, it's known. But if you look at it, and we have two original copies left, one in the Louvre Museum of Paris and the other is in the pre-Islamic history um, uh, museum of Tehran in Iran, and I have seen it there, it, sh- it talks about the first part of the in- tablet talks about, uh, it's not really a tablet, it's a giant piece of slab stone, very, very tall, where all the law is written, and then on top of it there's a giant man, and he gives a scroll, which is the law, to the king, to the human king who stands before him, Hammurabi. Who is it that's sitting on the throne that gives the law? Well, his name is Shams, and he is known as the sun god. By the time of the Greeks, he will be called Apollo, and he is one of the most influential of these beings. Um, so they did, they did give laws. All of the civilizations, all of the nations, begin with some sort of a divine code handed down that sparks the origin, whether it's a story of Muhammad that gives birth to the great Islamic civilization, or whether it's a story of Moses who comes down from Mount Sinai carrying the tablets of the law, and a system of light living that, you know, how do you deal with other nations, with commerce, with marriage, with every aspect of, you know, human life. And 
this is revealed. There are 613 commandments that Moses brings. And the story of Jesus, a being from, from the heavens, comes to the earth, and his teachings rewrite the Roman Empire. Again, something from above, some instruction from above, given to the human world, is at the foundation of civilization itself. Uh, all of the Indians, you know, with the Vedic texts, the, all of the, the, the Persians and the uh, Zoroastrians, Ahura Mazda, which is, you know, the main text of the, of the Zoroastrian religion, the main religion of the Persian Empire, from the time of Cyrus on to the Islamic conquest um, of the 7th century. This entire the world that we all live in, they have these law codes that that form a society, give us worldview and understanding of the afterlife, of what is right and what's wrong. And then humans learn themselves how to make laws by studying these laws that are handed down. And so this was an incre incredible contribution of these beings. And then, yes, you're right, the scepter of rule. You know, Jesus, uh, Satan says to Jesus that all the kingdoms of the earth have been given to his dominion, and he can give them to whom he wishes, and he does. There are many kings that, you know, one of the most famous stories is the story of King Minos in the island of Crete, which is the origin of Western civilization, where Zeus himself fathers the line of Minos and, and other lines as well through Hercules and many of, many of the cities that the, that the Lord wrote those letters to in Asia Minor. Those cities, many of them were founded by Nephilim. In fact, in the altar of Zeus itself, there is the name of the Nephilim, who is the founder of the city. He is mentioned in the very sacrificial altar that the priest must sacrifice before he enters into the second chamber, where the spirit of Zeus haunts him, and he receives messages for the emperor. And so this whole... Uh... Sorry, but Ali, were these, were these ancient rulers, these kings, that were the, the spawn of these gods? In other words, they were hybrids. They were... Does that mean these kings were giants? Do we know? Some of them were, some of them were, and we do know, like the, the King Minos was very much presented as a hybrid. Even Alexander the Great, it says that, uh, you know, his father wasn't uh, the king of Macedon, Philip of Macedon. His father was, you know, his, his mother uh, was raped by Swan, who was one of the manifestations of Zeus, that he was the son of Zeus. Now, how much of this is, you know, which ones can we trust? I don't know, but there's enough stories. And then there is also the idea of being chosen. All the kings, like when you look at the ancient Persian Empire, the kings of Persia said, you know, that Ahura Mazda had given them the scepter of rule. This idea that rulership comes from heaven is recorded even in the Sumerian list of kings, the most ancient list of human kings. And it says that when kingship descended from heaven to earth, before the flood and after the flood, it records this idea of something being passed down from above and authority. And you look at ancient Mesopotamia, we, anthropologists, they say basically urbanization. What is urbanization? It is when humans started to reorganize themselves from patriarchy, from clan living, like the story of Jacob and his family, where there is you know, a patriarch and they're a tribe, to living under priest kings. So in Mesopotamia, these ziggurats appeared, and at the helm of the city was a king who was also a priest of the god of that city. And society had to organize in serving that priest king who then served his god, 
and who received instructions and worldview and many other gifts from each different cities got different gifts, apparently. This is what the writings that have been left behind tell us. This is what anthropologists call urbanization. The reorganizing of human society under the rule of these shepherd kings, Sipar, that's what they were called, shepherd, because they were here to shepherd the flock of the gods. And okay, so but let me ask you something here, Ali. Why would God entrust the nations to fallen angels? Why would he allow them to rule? Well, man at this point in the story is himself cast out and fallen, uh, going back in the Garden of Eden. And man himself is called by the same name, Elohim, as these beings are, and God himself. Man is of the world of God and angels. Man is of the world that might get rewarded and judged and blessed and cursed, man has is a cosmic being himself and has a relationship with these beings. And man's history can be defined in a larger cosmic history. And in that history, man found himself on the same side of the fence as these beings did. We were essentially their property. And that's why when Jesus died on the cross, the Gospels record that it was done and paid in full, the Greek word totelestai, paid in full. What was paid in full? Well, we were purchased in that blood. Literally, there was a legal transaction. You know, these nations are under you, and this the, I choose Jacob, but now I'm going to purchase people from all nations to cross the fence and come to this side, because this blood is the price given in the cosmic order. This is the currency that God assigns for the purchase of people back from the realm of Satan into the kingdom of light, and that is exactly what he tells Paul. Right, so now it's him. on, right? Now it's officially on between between the uh, the fallen angels and and God's God's people, those who accept Christ, right now well, the now we, the the, well, the, yeah. the battle is on. It's true, it, it, absolutely. It begins with Cornelius, the centurion, who is the first one, really, officially that comes. And suddenly, you know, Peter is a little bit reluctant. You're not really Jewish. You're not kosher. But God prepares Peter's heart and says, don't call unclean what I have called clean. And when he comes down from that vision, there Cornelius, you know, the messengers come and say, we're told to take you to this, this centurion. He goes. And he meets him, and he receives the Spirit and receives the Gospel. And with that Roman centurion begins a flame that, inflames the world and is only now resting on the shores of California. And that is kind of, you know, the upheaval. Fascinating story. In 2012, I was t- invited well, I to think company. we lost. Um, Did sorry? I lose you? Sorry? We've got to go to a break. Okay, I'll tell you the story uh, and just, I come back. To, it ties into yeah, well, this whole question of what changed. All right. Years ago. Uh, exactly. We'll uh, we'll pick this up on the other side, and we'll also discuss whether these fallen angels, whether their influence over the the nations, ended after the time of Christ. I think not. Anyway, we'll uh, pick that up on the other side. The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. If you have questions and comments, we'd love to hear from you, and we will open the phone lines at the uh, top of this hour. 
uh, Ali Siadatan will stay with us into hour two, and we will entertain questions and comments at that time. Just a quick programming note. Next week on the broadcast, author Don Jeffries will be here. Don has actually uh, sat in and guest hosted the uh, the program a couple of times, I believe, over the years. And um, uh, he is the author of Survival of the Richest and Hidden History. And uh, we'll talk about the impact of the lockdown on, on the economy uh, and how it has... Uh, really, uh, this self-inflicted wound has destroyed what's left of the middle class, destroyed small businesses, while at the same time enriching uh, those at the top of the food chain. Surprise, surprise. That's uh, next week, Don Jeffries on the broadcast. Ali Siadatan from Think Again Productions. We're talking about the ancient gods, their connections, connection to the modern-day UFO phenomenon. So we were talking about this influence they had over the ancient world. And then along comes uh, Jesus. He's crucified. The, uh, the, the, uh, the bill has been paid, as it were, so we're freed. But the, the influence of the, uh, the ancient gods or fallen angels does not end. Um, so, for example, when the, the persecution of Christians, uh, I guess it was under Diocletian, uh, I'm guessing that 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 was that came under direct orders from Apollo, right? Because yes, didn't they, they would they would go into the, the uh, and see the oracle of Apollo and get their instructions. Now it's time to persecute the Christians. Yes, the the greatest of all the persecutions, the last one, the tenth one, the uh, is called the Great Persecution that was carried out by Diocletian. The story is that he sent a messenger to the oracle of Apollo at Delphi, asked the question, what should I do with the Christians? Because so many citizens were becoming Christians, and which was a Jewish religion, uh, which was, you know, the faith of Abraham and Mesmonotheism. And Apollo responded that the Christians are the enemies of the gods. And that was enough for Diocletian to suspend the civil rights of Christians, arrest them, confiscate their Bibles and burn it, and torture them until they sacrificed to the gods or died. Why? Because the gods were seen as the backbone of the power of the emperor and of the empire, and the citizens that refused to do that, they were spiritually weakening the empire and the emperor, and many, many, many of the senators of Rome were priests of Jupiter. They were actual priests, and they were also senators. The, the spiritual beliefs, the clergy, and the government were very much intertwined, and the emperor was the representative of the gods, and that is why it was the same in the pharaoh of Egypt, and that's what the, the battle between Moses and the pharaoh and his sorcerers and his gods, it is uh, the same concept. And so the kings of Mesopotamia, these shepherd kings that began urbanization, according to anthropologists, the first cities of the world, they say, began in the south of Iraq. But what does that mean? It means that there were these shepherd kings that appeared, who shepherded the flock of the gods. So this was a common theme from the beginning of the birth of civilization to the time of the Romans. And this is what kind of, you know, brought the Christians at odds. Two spiritual forces were colliding. 
And, you know, you were saying, okay, so, what was their influence? Their influence, right. were other than uh, assigning kingship and giving these codes of civilization, another important thing they did was they had actual offsprings, and that is the story of the Titans and the demigods, and it recorded by all the civilization, and the Bible calls them Nephilim. And so that is a third thing that, you know, uh, was a very important connection they created between their world and ours. Okay, so uh, sorry, after yeah. after the after the nations start to become Christianized, then what happens to the influence of the fallen angels? Because no longer necessarily are they pointing uh, appointing kings and rulers. Right. No longer is their 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 bloodline. Their the hybrids are no longer necessarily ruling. In some cases. Yeah, there were there were still kings. Although interesting, uh, many of the kings uh, would point to their lineage coming from the line of David. Were they being deceptive? I mean, everyone wants to associate themselves with the only throne that heaven recognizes as legitimate on the earth. Obviously, uh, so there's that, and then there's the Merovingian, you know, dynasty that that associates itself with, uh, you know, the line of Jesus, but through Mary, like Jesus and Mary had children, and all of these things... What according happened, to that theory, right? Yeah, according, according to theory, that theory. It's not true. Um, God doesn't have, you know, a wife in that sense. So what is it that happened after their, the time of Jesus? Well, the Spirit of God, which is called the Holy Spirit, was released on a day that was ordained beforehand in God's prophetic calendar. And it is called the Feast of Weeks, or Harvest, and, and in Greek it's called Pentecost. And it was first released into Jerusalem and brought awakening to the Jews, who were the original Christians. And then from there, like a wind blowing through the nations, as it poured through the nations, it brought enlightenment, and as people in a way remembered waking up from a dream, that before these beings there was the one who made them all, the God of gods. And they turned to fellowship with the living God. The altars and temples of these beings collapsed. And i got to tell you this fascinating story that happened to me in 2012. That, you know, again, it was one of these signs as God was leading me on this journey of revelation. I had been invited to go to Israel with 14 other pastors on a pastor's tour. And I don't know how I got myself in there, but they were kind enough to include me. And we went to a place called Caesarea Philippi. It is in the Galilee region, and we were told that you were going there, and as we were going, the tour guide told us a story who himself was a very important, you know, pastor from eastern Canada. He said that one day Jesus told his disciples, let's go, pick up, we're going to walk up to Caesarea Philippi. And with sandals on those rocky hills, they weren't in an air-conditioned bus uh, tweeting their way there, but, <laughs> you know, it took them a whole day, it took us 15 minutes, um, they got there. It was it was an arduous march. Then he had a speech, and then they came back. What? Did, why did they go all the way there for him to tell them what he wanted to tell them? Once we got there, it all made sense. We get there, we get out of the bus, and there's this giant cliff. And this cliff is carved with different temples, pagan temples. When the Romans took over Israel, they chose an administrative city that they created called Caesarea Marinera, where, you know, Pontius Pilate's offices were. And then the Hang on, Philip, or uh, Ali, sorry, we'll get back to uh, Caesarea Philippi in a moment. Okay. 
Uh, we've got to take another quick time out. This is a short segment. Ali Siadatan stays with us, back with more of our conversation when The Conspiracy Show continues. My name is Richard Serrett. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Before we get back to connecting the modern-day UFO phenomenon with the gods of the ancient world, uh, just a reminder that if you enjoy The Conspiracy Show, you might want to check out my podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited. It's more of the same, but more. (laughs) Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. New episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You can subscribe at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com, conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And uh, also for premium subscribers, for less than $2 a month, you get uh, two extra commercial-free episodes every month plus access to the vast uh, back catalog, well over 400 episodes now, 460 episodes, I think, available to premium subscribers. You go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and uh, click on the the little button that says gain access to premium episodes. All right, uh, Ali, we were uh, talking about Caesarea Philippi, which... um, was populated, obviously, during Jesus' time. Now it's an archaeological site. I think it's in the Golan Heights. Uh, so Jesus uh, went up there with his flock. He, and, uh, and he held he the speech. He and went up there, and, and he had this conversation. But now I could see the setting. It was a cliff. And in this cliff were different uh, carvings, uh, entrance points for different pagan temples. Like they had taken a piece of the cliff, made a cave, and out came this giant structure with pillars and a roof that was dedicated to one god and then another one next to it to another one. It was like where the Roman presence could come and do their sacrifices and worship. And at the base of this cliff, there was a giant opening that's still there. And there used to be water in it. It's very large. And this was called the Gates of Hades. It was kind of water going into the ground. You would, they worshipped their gods, they would sacrifice it and take a sacrifice and tie it up, throw it in this water, and if it kind of vortexed down, it, then your prayer would be answered, your offering was accepted by the gods. If not, it would just sit there, then they weren't accepting it. And this was called the Gates of Hades. And so there's a context. He takes them there, and he says, Who do people say I am? He stands on this rock, and they say, well... Uh, some people say you're this, some people say you're that, and he says, well, who do you say I am? He says, well, the, Peter says, you are, you know, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and Jesus then responds to him and says that this was a revelation to him. God gave him this insight. And he says, I tell you, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And so suddenly, you know, he says that he's going to build his church, and which is his household, which that's what the word means, the household of Jesus Christ. He's going to build his spiritual family from all around the world, and the gates of Hades, which is this thing, this this that represents this spiritual structure that's behind these empires, 
this these this place of worship of these beings and the sacrifices made to them he's literally referring to them and he says they will not prevail against this new this is the time of the messiah he and his kingdom will rise and the structure of these beings and the dominance they have over people and over the earth is going to be diminished and that's well here's something he interesting also there. though about that location Caesarea Philippi is adjacent to Mount Hermon, That's uh, true. where we where we believe the fallen angels sort of descended and and uh, first descended and decided to, I guess you know take women for their their wives and and produce these hybrids, right? Yeah, they they wanted to in, the houses of the fallen angels wanted to you know tie themselves into the race that had been chosen and by God to be made in his image and to carry his instructions into the creation. This is a cosmic tale. You, we have to always, in my opinion, connect it to this saga of incredibly intelligent beings of, of incredible you know, perception living a very serious story of which we are a part of, because we are of their world. That's why we are called the sons of Elohim as well. And that's what Adam is called, even in the genealogy of Jesus, that Adam is the son of Elohim, the son of God, because we are of the world of these beings. And so this was, this was a 2012, you know, another clue. Like 2006, God gives us magazine. Yes, this is the verse. This is what it was used. 2012, I'm going to Israel. And boom, another piece of the puzzle falls into place. The context of that conversation makes it clear that he's talking about two forces. One that is emerging under him and his people. The other that is here that will be diminished and will not prevail. Now to your question, what happened as the Spirit poured into the nations and the gospel was preached and people were purchased by the blood and freed from the gods the same way that the Passover lamb had freed the Jews 1,300 years years before from the gods of Egypt. Now the Passover lamb was freeing anyone who accepted his blood from bondage to the gods of Rome and Greece and Mesopotamia and China and India. And all these beings, people could be freed from bondage to their spiritual forces, um, to their perceptions, to, 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 to their rule. And right, but they didn't, to, they didn't just roll over. They went underground, right? They did go underground. That's one of the things they did. But early on, we read in the Second Corinthian letter that Paul writes. He says, "I won't have you be God, be beguiled the way that you know Eve was beguiled, because Satan can present himself as an angel of light, and his ministers as ministers of righteousness." And the concept, the context of that letter is that the church, even at the time of Paul, had been infiltrated by the agents of this fallen angel, trying to corrupt it. He couldn't. You know, God had his, had his scriptures being written. The letters of Paul were setting people straight, and they were the scriptures of God. So then he decided to kill as many Christians as he possibly could. And it says it is said that the early, that the church was built in the blood of martyrs, and that's very interesting because if a army had come out of Israel and put a gun to the head of the emperor and said convert or die, or if the Roman citizens had taken arms and done something, history would have recorded that in, in not a very good light. But people were dying in a very painful way, being torched as candles given given to deadly beasts because of this spiritual awakening and this fellowship with the living God through Christ. 
And so this is how the whole thing was built. He decided, I'm going to kill as many once. That actually made the movement more powerful, and more and more people came on board because they could see how dark and evil it was. Their friends were being killed for no reason. They knew them. They were good people. And now the, the third uh, strategy came at the Council of Nicaea, it seems, with Constantine. If you can't beat them, join them. And so there was the creation of underground societies that continued to be influential through, you know, Ivy League universities and, and, and they, they, they influenced the United Nations and influenced things like Agenda 2030. I mean, these underground societies that people who wanted to worship the gods and couldn't do it anymore in plain sight, essentially went underground and continued to worship them. And if you look at things like, I don't want to you know, ruffle any feathers, I'm more of a historian, but if you look at the Masons, they do you know, worship these, these beings and this angel of light. And I think it goes back to the ambitions that Satan himself had in Isaiah chapter 14. It talks about the five I wills. Of Satan, he wants to be worshipped. It says that very clearly there, and I think that is the root of idol worship. This ambition, and they all then decide that they want to be worshipped. So there is the underground societies, there is the false religions, but this is how it continues. And then there is the corrupted Christianity itself. So there's religions created outside to compete with this gospel and this message as it's going through the world. There is a corruption from within, and then there is the dark and secret societies whose job is going to be clandestine. And and the main other explosion I see comes out of um, Europe and out of basically what leads to the Bolshevik Revolution and the rise of socialism, which brings about the secular paradigm, which becomes another one of the veils that is thrown over the nations uh, to compete with the revelation of God as to who we really are and what is really going on. This one hides itself behind the idea that it is not a religion, because it doesn't believe in any of the gods, including the Judeo-Christian one. It considers all of them as... It, it, it champions human reason. But nonetheless, it is a, one of these thought veils. This one is definitely created by the secret societies, and it kind of comes out of Europe in the 18th century, the Age of Enlightenment, and it kicks these revolutions that, that, that create these secular republics, and becomes the chief idea that will be presented through the university and school systems to condition people. So there's, there's all of these thought um, paradigms created as the gospel and the spirit go forward. There is the spirit of the pseudo-Messiah, the Antichristus. And these two spirits, you know, fight and they create worldview. The one essentially points the truth of the Word of God and the Messiah and Christ uh, and his redemptive work, which, you know, uh, makes him the King of kings and Lord of lords and, and, and redeems mankind into fellowship with the living God. And the other that presents alternative perspectives, if you will, that says, no, this is not quite true. This is not really the history of man. We don't really know where we came from. Oh, maybe some aliens made us. Maybe this has happened. Maybe who really knows? It's all very foggy. The idea that all God right. loves I've us got to, and uh, gave take, us the truth. I've got to roll into the, okay, I've got to roll into the break here, Ali. We're approaching the top of the hour. You'll stay with us, and then we will start connecting those dots between the ancient gods and UFOs, the modern-day UFO phenomenon. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarratt. 
on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Long haul truck, RV, camper, taxi. Your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker. Your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate in your cabin in the woods. Ali Siadatan is here for the full two hours. He's connecting the gods of the ancient world to the modern-day UFO phenomenon. Ali is the founder of Think Again Productions in Canada, a multimedia teaching ministry shedding light on mysteries and treasures of scriptural knowledge, which is making the Bible more real than ever. Uh, Before the break, we were talking about how, as the world became uh, more Christianized, these... um, the influence of the fallen angel, uh, of the fallen angels kind of um, morphed and maybe even metastasized as it went underground and took on other other manifestations and so forth, but obviously still there. So, but but now I want to, I want to connect that to, uh, well, the, the, the documentary that, that came out in 2006, UFOs, Angels and Gods, it's also called Rekeb, Malachim and Elohim. Rekeb is what the Hebrew word for chariots. Is that what that means? So it is chariots. It literally means vehicle. It's just that there was no other vehicle than a chariot. So until recently, it was like, well, just translated as chariots. But it does mean something that carries. The root word is to carry. It's something that carries. And actually, in some passages, by extension, it means cavalry. Cavalry, because when the army of heaven comes, it comes in these chariots. And Isaiah in chapter 66 talks about this that God will come in his chariots. And Elijah is taken up in such a chariot. And both Elijah and Elisha see these, um, as well as um, Mount Sinai in, in Psalm 68, verse 17. It says that when God was in Sinai, he was among his chariots. And of course, you have to understand something. I think we really have to make a point to that God is far beyond any of these beings that we're talking about. He's, he's like infinity unfathomable compared to the dust of the sand. These beings are really nothing compared to God. And, of course, God needs no chariot of any kind, but he may choose to be among his angels who like us, are limited beings, and they need it. And he may be even among us, he may eat some fish, walk on the shores of Galilee, uh, be at the end of Roman whips. I know it sounds very strange, but it's a tale of love, apparently, uh, written in blood. And so this is what he's saying, I love you. He doesn't need to be at the end of Roman whips. And so this whole idea is God is by choice, the angels are by design. They don't have a choice like we do. They are. They have limitations, they function within God's creation, but God right. himself is sovereign it's... above all of these things. But yes, there are these chariots mentioned in the Bible, and when you look into the story of these beings, they too have chariots that fly. In Hindu, uh, Sanskrit, the word for the chariots of the gods was Vimana, and Vimana is the modern-day word for aeroplane in Hindi. It has survived in a way the concept through language has survived. The chariots of the gods of India is the word used for aeroplane in modern-day Hindi. You can see how through the line of ancestors the ideas carry through. 
And these beings, whether from all of the world, these polytheistic guys, they flew. And, you know, Satan is called the prince of the power of the air, you know, and, and the lord of those who fly, or actually it's flit. And two things flit, dragon, um, uh, hummingbirds, um, and the dragonflies. And what is flitting? Flitting is having control, perfect mastery of the air. You can be here in front of me, and then you can be to my left, to my right. You can move. Well, that certainly describes the modern-day UFO phenomena, doesn't, doesn't it? I mean, people describe them seemingly flitting. There's that word flit, flitting in and out of our reality or our dimension. And that's it. And when you look at the writings of Josephus and the conquest of Jerusalem, these orbs of light are, are there. They, they are recorded by all of these nations in association with these heavenly beings. And so they continue to be here. They have, they have, I had a sighting in Iran, in the desert, and the one I had, it went into the ground. And it was very close up. It went into the ground. It wasn't coming out of the ground. You look at the writings of Jacques Vallée concerning the Amazon forest, where he goes deep into the Amazon to talk to these tribes that say that at the, where these three rivers meet, these things come out of the water. They come from out of the ground. And so these guys have been here for a long time. They have given us, you know, uh, laws. They have given us uh, children. They have chosen kings. They have ruled. God himself has visited the earth, has unleashed his spirit that has changed reality 2,000 years ago. And today, these beings, as they continue to, to exist, it seems that they come up with a plan which culminates in the second coming, and it's centuries in the making. Let me open up for you. The concept well, just before we get heaven. to that, yeah. I, before we get to that, Ali, I just want to circle back on something. Yes. So the idea is, you know, as you say, they're coming out of the water, and there have been, you know, volumes written about about this. Um, yeah. Preston Dennett has, has, has talked about this on my program. Yeah. Uh, we talk, we, we hear about them coming out of the, the North and South Pole. Right. So the idea is, rather than the idea of UFOs, they're not visiting our world. No. They're not visiting us. They, they're, we are living in a world that they created. Exactly, because this is the angels of God, good and evil. And that's what we said in the opening lines of our documentary is the UFO evidence is the, the UFO phenomenon is the evidence of the angelic reality both good and evil God and his angels have entered the cosmos have entered time and space and they have created us and they have given us they have seeded the earth with life and the life with knowledge and the knowledge that we have received from God through his angels and the knowledge we have received from the fallen angels has formed the history and civilization itself. That's why we, you know, we made the statement that all the civilizations attributed their genesis to the gods, to the knowledge handed down. In fact, I would say that there are only four categories of knowledge in all of the earth. One, the knowledge that has come from God himself. Two, the knowledge that has come from these beings, starting with the days before the flood, the knowledge given to the pre-Diluvian world recorded by Enoch in the book of Enoch, the seven angels that do that. That is the beginnings of it. Even Adam, even Satan gives commandment to add to Eve and says, what did God say? Oh, no, he, he reverses the commandment of God and issues his own commandment, which is, I guess, the most ancient incident of this idea that knowledge was going to come from two sides. So that's the second form of knowledge. The third form of knowledge is man's own reason. Man is a thinking being and comes up with his own thoughts. 
And that's the third form of knowledge. And the fourth type of knowledge, the one that is most common in metropolitan centers like Toronto, is one in which the first three braid together to form a mismatch that is the fourth type of knowledge that I would say most of us traffic in. And that's why it's important to renew our minds with the knowledge of Scripture and remove these other, so to know exactly our left hand from our right hand, what does God exactly have said? And that's important because there has been knowledge of different types spoken into the human world. And so these beings have been creating all kinds of paradigms, like we talked about secularism, and then they start to create the idea that we're not in the heavens. We're not in the heavens. This is not the heavens and the earth, like the Bible says. This is not the host of the heavens and the host of the earth, like the Bible says. We're in the universe. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. You're in the universe. There's a lot of pebbles. It just came out of chance. Yeah, you guys are, are beings here. You evolved here. You appeared here. Who knows? You're just humans. We're disconnected suddenly from the cosmic tale in this paradigm. And then we have the fear of evolution. We have the possibility of whether God is real or not. Who really knows? Atheism. And these ideas that are championed through this rise of this movement that comes out of Europe in the Age of Enlightenment and covers the Western world, which is seemingly the most powerful part of the world, starts to reinvent reality for us. Oh, here's a telescope. Look at this universe. Oh, yes, you guys evolved here and beings evolved elsewhere by extension, by logic. You think along those lines. The idea is... Well, the, the, the ancient alien theory. Actually, well, there, yeah. there's there's a kernel of truth there, except that they basically misidentified the, the ancients. They're not aliens. They're the fallen angels. But everything else that comes out of that theory, there's a great deal of truth to it, well, right? Yes. And the reason they see it that way is because the fallen angels take centuries to indoctrinate us in the concept of the universe. A lot of these guys, Newton, Galileo, I mean, they have Masonic connections. And moving forward into the 20th century, we are now fully live in a world where we have this concept of, the, of we're in the universe, and then the spiritual realm is something completely, you know, non-physical and ghostly and magical. That's how we tend to start to see it. You know, Christians, you know, fight back and they say, no, we believe in something more than just the physical, and that becomes their kind of secret realm that they know about through the spirit they receive, okay, while the so universe is where everybody else is living in. So these beings can now reinvent themselves in this paradigm as right. aliens. But what, when we talk about spiritual warfare, and it is not it is not against you know flesh and bone that we battle. It is you know we're talking about spiritual warfare. But when you're describing the fallen angels flitting around in these chariots, yeah. um, um, Rekeb or UFOs in the modern day vernacular, yeah. that doesn't sound like spiritual. These are mechanical. This is, this is, these are pieces of technology. We don't exactly know how they operate. We, we, we can't get too far ahead of ourselves. We can't say it's like, you know, uh, Enterprise uh, and Ch Captain Kirk. But it is something that has substance, uh, that's for sure. And it does operate within the laws of God's creation, which is not a simple thing. It's a complicated thing. And if beings can manipulate the laws of the creation to the point where they can do stuff like that and come and go, they're very advanced beings. It's, it's the, you know, there's nothing, nothing wrong with, with that kind of a knowledge. Uh, the idea that the world of angels is a world of magic and a ghostly place is, is something that comes from Greek tradition. Um, it's kind of an idea that enters the church. You know, the Greek philosophers, they already started to reject these gods. You know, they seem so petty. Obviously, they knew innately 
that God was much greater than, than the Hercules and these beings. They, they seemed so, so petty. How could this be anything spiritual? They started to say that God sees all and, and, and thinks all over. He's, he hears all over. He's very different than these guys. And so they saw God as something that didn't have a body or a face. And this idea... I think, made it into the early church. But the Hebrew tradition of the Bible presented God and angels in a completely different way than this Greek thinking that very much spiritualized everything to an nth degree. It talked about something that was occurring in time and space and process and sequence, but it said if you guys can, you know, break the atom and you can edit DNA and you can travel into the heavens with your rockets because you are the children of God and because this is what angels do, this is what the children of, of, of God do, these are very advanced pieces of knowledge and God is, you know, working in these realms as well as in realms that we cannot fathom. So we don't know what is the makeup of these things, but I just want to say that a tree is to me a technology. It pr- produces air for me. A, um, a body is a technology. It carries my spirit and soul around. A mule that the Lord rode on when he came to the earth, it was a form of technology. You put him on the back of a mule, he's okay. You put him at the end of Roman whips and on the ships of fishermen, he's okay. But you put him in the midst of his chariots in the heavens, and with his angels, suddenly you've diminished him. That doesn't make sense to me, right? God is bigger than our minds can fathom. To say that here's a box that's big enough that is good for him is still a small box. We can Fair enough. So God as he's presented himself to us, and he's presented himself to us as this being that has walked among us, and his angels okay, so are here as well. So fallen angels, they had these vehicles. Did God's angels have them? And are there accounts in the Bible of this celestial war involving these crafts between the good angels and the fallen angels? I think that the story um, of Daniel chapter 10 points to this idea of a war, the angel from heaven is held back by these human by these principalities that are behind the nations. Their forces must have been compar- comparable for for him to be held back to the point where he has to call up for backup for Michael to come. God and two angels have a, share a meal with Abraham. It doesn't say they just took that form, that these angels took physical form just for that event. It doesn't say that. You know, they might have always had a physical form, and they had a meal with Abraham, God, and these two angels. Um, the story of the Exodus is very much a follow the, the, the leader story. The story of the Magi is very much a follow. You know, stars don't just disappear and appear and then stand still on a place. Uh, but these bright lights in the sky could that are angels could do that and and so the elijah's story of the chariot uh, is is one the, there's a story of ezekiel and these chariots these they're called rekev they're also called merkeba and it's it is instructed through moses that they should be engrafted engraved on the mercy seat on the mercy seat itself the merkeba these vehicles are to be engraved. So we don't really know exactly their inter-realm vehicles. They carry us between the realms, including to where God's throne room is. We don't know how they operate, but they definitely have substance. And these beings, they're very, very advanced, and that's why they know more about God's creation than we do. And then there is the spirits, and that is a different thing. The evil spirits, that is its own thing. They're not physical, 
and they're a different category. They're called demons, they're called devils, and they go back to the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim, uh, according to the Book of Enoch. But the fallen angels themselves are presented as physical beings, and so is God, and so is man, and, and there is a realm beyond this realm, but this realm itself is not to be neglected. There's much of the story of creation and of God is happening right here, right now, and involves these beings. And it says that we can entertain angels unawares, and we should be hospitable, that they are walking among us, that the angels of God are walking among us. I suspect that even these chariots, some of them would have been taking over the world or carrying out all kinds of plans if God's angels were not here, holding things back and holding things down until the time where God may signal that, you know, stand okay, down. Uh, and and the Spirit of God is here, too, carried, poured into the nation. So these guys are on the retreat. There is no doubt about that. But they are okay, reinventing so mentioned- themselves as aliens, like you're saying, and they're kind of saying, look, those sh- chariots we had, let's call them UFOs. The chariot is so, so you know, fifteenth uh, century. Wait a minute! You said they reinvented themselves as aliens. So, when when people bringing the UFO phenomenon from the ancient world up into the modern day, right? And when people have encounters, yes, uh, and they describe greys, or they and they describe the Nordics, or they describe the reptilian reptilians, or the insectoid type, praying mantis type, all these different supposed races of extraterrestrials right uh, you're saying that this is another thought veil by the fallen angels yeah. that they have created this whole alien narrative and they are taking on the the image of these various races of, of ets yes they exactly and they are trying to uh, prepare us for we our conjecture was that they're trying to prepare us for a great reversal at the end of this age. If it's true that God's angels use these chariots as well, and it says in Isaiah 66, verse 15, that God will return with his chariots. It says that God will return with his chariots. So if God is going to return with his chariots and with his angels and him, then it's easy for these guys to say, look, this is just an alien invasion, because it says in the Bible that the nations will go to war against God, and you think that's insane. Why would anyone do that? I mean, the whole Valley of Armageddon, there's many prophecies that indicate that in the Old and New Testament. That's going to happen. And you think, well, that's crazy, that's nuts, unless the nations have been deceived and have had their perception altered. They don't see this as heaven's armies coming to the earth. They see it more as a race of evil aliens. And these guys are here, and I suspect as we go forward in the story, they're going to give us technology, they're going to help us with environmental issues, because they keep saying that. And they're going to maybe make some signs and wonders or lying wonders for the world leader. They're preparing, I think, to enthrone as their representative. And that's why he's called the seed of the serpent. But but there's also, uh, I would assume, interactions with God's angels aboard these craft. Is that not a possibility? Absolutely. It says that we must test the spirits that come to us, if we have to ask them, do you believe that Jesus is the sovereign Lord? And if, the, if they say yes, if they can say that and bow their knee to him rather than ask us to bow to them, then that is a sign that they're from God. I would say that the majority of the phenomenon that is called the UFO phenomenon is, uh, is the sons of God. That's what they're called in the Bible. They're called the sons of God. 
and that is what Christians refer to as fallen angels. I'd say the majority is that. Um, however, I would say the angels of God are also here in this climactic moment, and this whole UFO phenomenon, it's like potatoes and carrots in a stew. Once it's ready for the stew is all ready, what it will it look like? What will it be called? It will be called the second coming. That's where the UFO right. phenomenon is headed to. So they reinvented themselves, and they've taken centuries to create the idea of universe for us, to reinvent themselves as aliens, I think because they were looking forward to that climactic battle of the second coming, and they want to give us the technology we need to put up a fight with the, with the, with the armies of heaven. I mean, look at the Roswell incident. It, it's, it's the story of a crash. And since when do UFOs crash? Uh, they have pilot error. They, was it a mechanical error? And there's lots of stories documented of these so-called crashes. In what other words, the they're gifting in, us in the, the technology. Heaven? This is their method of gifting us the technology. That, that is one of the ideas that was put forward by people who are hired to go and retrieve it, that this is how they gift technology. But maybe the fallen angels, they get shot down by the angels of God, and instead of saying, hey, that's what's happening to us, they're going, oh, no, no, of course we're not being shot down. It would be quite crazy. We're giving you a gift. Please, All go right. ahead. Ali, you know, <laughs> hold on. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll come back. We'll open up the phone lines and take questions and comments also from our YouTube live chat. Uh, my YouTube live chat producer, Ryan, will forward those uh, live chat questions to me as well. And by phone, 416-360-0740 on, uh, in the uh, greater Toronto area, 416-360-0740. Toll free from just about anywhere, 1-866-740-4740. Loose lips sink ships, and sometimes corporations. Got something to say? Call Richard Serrett now at 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Thinkagainproductions.com. Thinkagainproductions.com. That's the website. And, Ali, can people still screen... UFOs, angels, and gods from the website, or do they go to YouTube? They can watch it right on the website, and uh, thinkingproductions.com. Scroll down and sign up for our newsletter so you know what's going on, because there's events coming. Um, You're welcome to leave a donation, because we we definitely need that to continue the work. Um, And we would appreciate that. Um, I'm offering uh, workshops and series all the time. If you sign up, you'll get the email. You can also email me through the website and say I'm interested in those. Um, and uh, the, the YouTube channel, you can click on the documentary twice. It will take you to YouTube, and you can sign up for the YouTube channel. There's a series of videos that will be coming out that will outline the different topics that were uh, developed in the documentary, the gods, the chariots, the Nephilim. Uh, what are these biblical concepts, and how have they unfolded? And, and it will give, I think, more color to the documentary itself, but please go ahead and watch it and, and you know, email us any questions you have. Um, I may be doing a series in the book of Revelation. You can sign up for that. You can uh, email and say, I'm interested. Um, it's, it's a fascinating story because it gives meaning. We now know we really are the children of Adam and Eve. We are in this incredible story, of, uh, and it involves these beings, good and evil, but the good guys are much more powerful, much larger, 
God's angels, his spirit, and God himself, he has been, he's the big, big kahuna. He's got authority over all of these beings. Jesus, to him, all authority has been given. He's the redeemer, the high priest, but he's also the king. And all authority under heaven and earth has been given to him. And he's returning to establish an incredible age, a thousand-year rule on this planet, which will be different from what we're experiencing right now. And we are going okay, to be so given a new body, this, one that lives forever. Right. These are all does, the final battle, does the final battle take place with you know, UFOs, you know, yes. firing at each other. And is yes. that what the, 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 the final battle of Armageddon is going to be fought with UFOs piloted by fallen angels and UFOs piloted by God's angels? Well, yes, I think that for us 20th century kids, we call them spaceships because that's the word we have for it. I get it. But remember, this is not really space. It's the heavens. And these are not spaceships. They are heavenly vehicles. What are they exactly? How do they operate? We don't know. But definitely, yes, it will be in that clothing. I think that's why God is revealing this information to prepare us for the way it's going to go down, which no other generation of the Church could have ever imagined or fathomed. But now that we're there, we're starting to really see the veil being removed. It's the time of the unveiling, and that's what Revelation means, unveiling. We're ready to see what, how is this going to go down. It involves these beings, and involves these chariots, and, and they're already taking their last stance, and they're deceiving the world by creating a new thought uh, paradigm and saying of a thought veil and saying, look, this is what we are, and this is who these beings that are coming are. But the Bible comes and enlightens us and tells us, no, these beings have been here from the beginning, and they have been pushed back since the time of Jesus. Yet, as you mentioned, in Ephesians it says... And I'm just going to read that because I find the words are so interesting that Paul has chosen. Um, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. What? is the spiritual forces of evil doing in heavenly places? Because he's using the word heavenly, Uranus and Shemaim, these words, they represent the, the creation. What we would call the heavens is the universe and beyond, right? Um, and, and it can also be the sky where the birds fly. That's also called heavens in the Bible. Anything a few inches off the earth, all the way to the throne room of, the, of, of, of God, we're at the center of time and space. That whole is, area is called the heavens, where the air is, where the sun and moon are, where the stars are, and even beyond, the heavens of the heavens. And so these beings are the host of the heavens and the host of the earth, and we are told that one-third has rebelled against God, has gone into the camp of Satan, and like him wants to be worshipped, and that's why they set up these religions that God sends packing when he sends his own personal spirit into the nations and changes the world. And yes, they go down, they come, but they continue to fly around the earth all the way into the 20th century where they represent themselves as UFOs. There are no well, we the occasionally we'll see some of these leaked videos, leaked videos from the International Space Station. And, and there was one video before yes. they cut the feed. It appeared as if two UFOs were, were having a dogfight. To use, yes. you know, sort of World War II fighter jet uh, parlance. We had that in the documentary. It's from the Columbia shuttle, 
um, and I believe it was 1991, that video was scrutinized to death. What NASA does, they, they stick you know video, uh, cameras around the rockets in those days. I don't say they'll do it. Just to film things if they film something interesting. And when I was making the documentary, you could go to NASA's website and you could download footage uh, from these cameras. And there was a few that I downloaded that I think are showing you know, UFOs. But this was a very famous one. And it was scrutinized to death and it was understood to be real. And you can see it on the documentary if you watch it. Um, one is shooting at the other and misses it as it speeds away. And you think, wow, this is the war in the heavens. We're really seeing it. See, if I said to you, God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham will be an eyewitness of the fire and flames that come up the next day, and you say to me, well, the only way God could do that is in his mind, he thinks of a rock that hurls through the universe and hits Sodom and Gomorrah. But what if he told these beings, these angels that come and you know, visit Abraham, we see that, he told them, carry this mission out for me. And these angels are so refined and so sophisticated that they can harness the power of atom, and they can, you know, channel light through rubies, and they can create all kinds of sophisticated things with the raw material of God's mighty creation and His mighty principles, because there are so much wisdom and so many principles behind the created order, and these guys know more of it than we do because they are older. And they come, and with this knowledge, they destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Would that make the story of the Bible any less heavenly? Only if God hurls stone with his brain, that's the only way this can be truly a mighty story. Well, that doesn't make sense to me, but regardless, I don't really care what makes sense to me. I follow the book and to see who is God, who are these beings, and this is the story that the book tells of these beings that fly around these chariots. I mean, the angels of God. All right, let's go to the phone. Skip is in Connecticut. Skip, welcome. Yeah, hi, Ali. Fascinating presentation. I, I want to go through three time periods quickly. Uh, Pre-flood, right. uh, the, were these women coerced? Were they enticed, or did they entice the Nephilim, uh, these fallen angels? In a sense, also... Uh, I usually don't see women as wicked as men, you know, uh, in terms of like a mass murderer. But now I kind of see that as possible where some of these women, maybe they were like this in the pre-flood. I'm not talking about their rendezvous with the Nefer feeling, but in other areas where they could be as wicked as the male section of society. So that would be one area. Now, now flipping to David. Wait, can we just answer that before we go yeah. on so we can, we can deal with your questions one at a time? And I think, so um, this, you're right. I think that all three, I think some were coerced, some were enticed, and some enticed because some women saw it as a promotion. Instead of marrying a human, they could marry one of these beings, these heavenly beings. They're called in the Bible heavenly beings. They could marry them, so that's kind of, you know, getting ahead in the social order. And I think some of the women were ambitious, and they wanted that. Others were enticed, you know, they were charmed, uh, and others were coerced. They had no intention, they had no wanting, they didn't want it, but they had no choice. And that's what we see in the modern-day abduction phenomenon, that some of the abductees see themselves simply as neutral experiencers. Others see themselves as abductees. They don't want this happening to them. And yet others see themselves 
has chosen uh, people who have been, you know, uh, blessed and chosen to have this incredible experience, uh, and 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 the, they're visited um, uh, by these beings. So I think the same thing will happen before the flood as well. Um, so what's your next? Uh, the time? Well, let me uh, let me get to just to uh, skip. I'm going to get you to hold on because we're going into a break. I just wanted to add to that uh, a couple of things. One. Uh, for uh, if uh, when when a woman commingled with one of these fallen angels and gave birth to Nephilim, these hybrids, that was certain death, right? Because you can't give birth to a giant. Uh, that would have been certain death, I would imagine. Well, for the we woman, don't know correct? What, their, what their technology and science was. To, ah, to, true. To Good give point. Birth, yeah. Se- secondly, in the modern day UFO phenomenon, we have men who claim. Uh, that they undergo some sort of um, um, a procedure uh-huh. in which perhaps semen is taken from them. So it sounds like it's working both ways in the modern-day phenomenon. Not only are they taking women to create hybrids, but they're also taking men. I'll get you to it's address a, that. It's plus, a very unique one, the one today. It's designed to create these kings that will rule over us, ten of them, and these hybrids that are among us that look like us. It's not like the ancient times. So this time it's, ah. it says in the Bible, they shall mingle their seeds with the seed of men. So it uses a very specific language of seed mingling, but in the past it seems that it uses the language of sex and procreation. Interesting. Okay, we'll take a time out. Skip, hold on. We'll get to your other questions, and we'll get into some of the live chat questions as well. Ali Siadatan, Think Again Productions. Back with more in a moment. PIN numbers, passcodes, social insurance numbers. If they make you wonder how private they are, here's two more numbers. 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. All right, uh, Ali, you sort of touched on the reemergence of the Nephilim and we'll we'll come back to this in a moment. Uh, the the connection between the reemergence of the Nephilim and I guess the, the relationship between the, the modern day hybrids if you will, and the biblical Nephilim. But first, uh, Skip in Connecticut. Now, you've got two more questions. I, I want you to keep them real tight if you can, Skip, so we can get Allie to answer them. And then I have a, a long line of YouTube chat questions as well. So go ahead, Skip, your next question. Yeah, okay. If you look at David, uh, Psalm 144, he talks about strange children in the King James Version. And it seems like David, some people say, was fighting when he was a shepherd, a lion that was a hybrid being. And I'm wondering uh, if David was dealing with supernatural beings as well as, you know, his natural enemies like Saul, his son Absalom. Uh, Goliath was more in the supernatural realm somewhat. Uh, and if you look at uh, some of his remedies, like he's in Psalm 103, he's talking about asking for angels that excel in strength to help him. So, uh, and even in Psalm 144, it's talking about calling on like lightning to strike his enemy. Okay, let's get let's get Ali to get into that. Okay, yeah, go so ahead, Ali. Spiritual uh, level, David was the representative of God's executive branch of government. The, he was filling the shoes of what would eventually be the Messiah, the King that would administer justice among the nations. And so there was a lot of backlash from these angels against him. 
And so he was in constant spiritual battle from the day that he slew Goliath till the day he died. And so, yes, his prayers are obviously talking about that. The Psalms talk about that all the time, how he just needs that power from God to carry out the mission that he has been given in life. When it comes to the actual physical battles that he physically fought, uh, Goliath is an example of, it says that he was a descendant of the Nephilim. He had four brothers, that's why David took five stones. And we know from tablets that we have found in the Middle East that there was these tribes of giants that Middle Easterners would hire to tilt the balance of power in their own direction. And the Philistines had hired the Goliath family as their champions. And in those days, the champions would fight, and if one champion won, it meant that whole army was victorious. There was no need to have the bloodshed and the whole war. It was, they agreed that if the champion won, somehow, you know, the hand of fate was on this side. And so they were fighting. They had hired Goliath as a champion. He was among the Philistines, but he wasn't a Philistine. And so these beings, yes, David is the, is the king. And the sons of Israel are told that there are lots of these beings, the Zanzumim, the Raphaim, um, uh, in this land that they are going to inherit, and Jacob and his children are going to inherit. And when they come to take it, they have to fight these giants. That's why uh, they're reluctant to even go there. And then David fights them, and it's really at the time of King David that it's settled, that he finally kills the last of the giants in that land. Uh, okay, and cleans Skip, it. I, I, I hate to rush you, but Skip, i got to get to your third question quickly. Yeah, okay, just the RNA vaccine that, uh, you know, gene-altering potential. Do you see the fallen angels as in this process? Great question. Yeah, that's a good question. I think that it's suspicious. You know, I can't say here I have this proof and this evidence. It's just so new. But I see that they're interested in genetics, and uh, that's how they're creating hybrids. We know genetics because we, too, are the, are the children of the world of God and angels, and so we, too, can come up and play with these things. So we could use it for good. We could use it for something that we need. However, perhaps these guys are trying to change our genes and influence our genes, and they're kind of slipping it through uh, a vaccine that you know attaches itself to the DNA code through the RNA, so, but I can't tell you for sure. Here's my, you know, smoking gun proof. But the, the idea then, Ali, that that would cut us off this this by altering our genes, it would it would cut off cut us off from the divinity, that part of us that is connected to God. Um, who knows what the purpose might be? It might affect our thinking, our perception. I mean, it's it's the science of genetics is very complicated. We don't even understand it completely. Right. So I don't know what it would do. Okay, let's go to the YouTube. Thank you for the uh, the great question, Skip. Uh, LetterTube in live chat asks, do you have an opinion on Zachariah Sitchin and his body of work? Yes, I've re- read every book Zachariah Sitchin has written. I've spoke with him on the phone. I wanted to interview him for my documentary. I like some of the stuff that he's dug up at a time where no one was talking about these beings as being real, and I was researching it. He was one of the only guys I could read. I don't agree at all with his UFO theory of, of, of seeing these beings as ancient astronauts. I follow the biblical perspective that these beings are the fallen angels. Um, so, But I do appreciate some of the nuggets of information that he's dug out uh, from the perspective that these beings were real, that that in a way allowed him to highlight pieces of information that were useful to me as a researcher. But his general idea I don't agree with, of how he sees All right. Uh, and then we have Tiali1 
Do you have any thoughts on the December 21 solar flare? Will it take down the power grid? I don't know. I, I don't know. But there's lots of... Uh, one thing the age of COVID has initiated is a new phase of the apocalypse, and there's going to be more and more strange things ahead of us, culminating with the God and his angels coming with their chariots. <laughs> All right. Uh, we will take one final time out, come back, and we will get around to discussing the reemergence of the Nephilim. It's different this time. Uh, obviously, the Nephilim are not giants. Um, how did that happen exactly? How are they able to change the the uh, the physical characteristics of these hybrids? More of my conversation with Ali Siadatan from thinkagainproductions.com. Stay with us. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. All right, Ali, we still have a little bit of ground to cover here. We have, and time is short, so um, let me begin, and I'll get a real tight answer for each of these if I could from you. Uh, Thinker asks, what do, you, what do you think of the mark of the beast? What do you think it is, the mark of the beast? Well, I think more and more with the rise of digital technology, the Internet of Things, and AI, I am, I'm still kind of still in the camp of it's some sort of a chip, for the lack of a better word, uh, from where we are in our terminology that will be, be, will be given because if they remove cash and the Federal Reserve puts everyone on salary and gives you money, now if you have a digital wallet and if you don't have the right combination, they can, you know, uh, turn it off. And if you don't have it, then you, can don't have, you can't buy or sell. So people, you know, right now no one can reach into your wallet quite and turn it off. But once everyone has digital currency, so I think it's, I'm still in the, in the camp of it's some sort of a piece of technology that connects us to the Internet of Things, to AI, and to um, digital currency. Well, there is this Microsoft patent 060606 that involves right. uh, cryptocurrencies, some sort of, it could be wearable technology. It's not necessarily implanted subdermally. And um, uh, some, somehow that, it, you know, it, it uh, records your movements so that you're doing some sort of an activity and then and, and the, the cryptocurrency is, the crisis that'll make him actually make the world need it you know like why well, here we, we are need <laughs> such a thing? Here, yeah. yes here is the crisis it's a it's here now isn't it uh and then gbgn1 do you believe the giant skeletons that have been found across the united states and elsewhere have been confiscated and have been confiscated by the smithsonian are these the remnants of the nephilim yeah for sure I, I've seen lots of footage that has disappeared um, and things that have come out in caves and massive amounts of bones, and then you don't hear about them anymore. Um, there's lots of huge amounts of evidence of the Nephilim. So the hybrids have existed throughout the ages because this umbrella picture we painted today of these beings that you know, are the overlord, the sons of God, and they're over the nations, they give laws, they appoint kings, they have children. Well, they have children. It's one of the things they do. And they have been doing it, for, you know, they have a bloodline that, that, that definitely is alive and well, because we can, I can see the tribes that are mentioned uh, in ancient Greece that come from, that have lines of kings from them. I can see the whole story of Minos. I can see that the prince of Greece and the Western world, this Zeus, Jupiter, the character, the one whom the Bible calls Satan, you know, he's got his bloodlines, and then I see that throughout the ages there's peaks of these hybrid creations. And right now, 
we are living in a time that Jesus said would be like the days of Noah. So it's a very massive contamination because that's how the days of Noah were. And that's what this whole hybridization today, it's the same beings, the same overlords, the same powers and principalities that, you know, Paul talks about, but this is what they do. And they're doing this today because they're infiltrating the human world with their hybrids, and it says in the book of uh, Daniel that they're going to mingle their seeds with the seed of men, and then it says that there'll be ten kings. It says that then there's going to be these kings that are going to rule, and it's in the time of these kings, it's in Daniel chapter 2, verse 42 and verse 43, that it's in the time of these kings that God will establish a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And so we're headed towards that. This is the final, um, you know, episode, the final scene of this story that goes to the Garden of Eden that involves these beings, their chariots, their, their world paradigms, their offsprings, and God and his angels, which are so much more powerful, and his spirit. I mean, think about this. God is present in our lives every minute of every day through his spirit, and we're guarded by his angels, and we are informed by his word and by his spirit directly. So it's, you know, it's, it's incredible how God has been pushing these things back and now he's going to completely uproot them from the ground, from the earth, and usher in a new age. It's very important for people to take this seriously. These beings are very real, and the story of the Bible is very real, and Jesus is the King and the Redeemer, and he's very real as well. Well, let me ask you about the hybrids and the or the Nephilim yes. uh, in, in days of, uh, of the Bible. The Nephilim in in the Bible were giants. How come we're not seeing giants inhabiting the earth now? Wouldn't these hybrids produced through these alien abductions also be giants? Yes. We asked that question in the documentary, and we answered that there is a different agenda afoot. This time it's about integration. Um, It's stealth until the time where they're going to show themselves more, you know, uh, in, in a more obvious way. But it's about stealth this time. They don't want to be uh, standing out as things that look very different. In the ancient world, the sons of the gods, and that's why, you know, when Pontius Pilate is told, this is the son of God, he's like, what? Because even in the Roman thinking, he's familiar with these things. That was something that was venerated by some. Today, we would think this is weird. We would like to pick up our guns and, and, and frying pans and hit them over the head. So it's more like they're infiltrating the human society in a clandestine operation until the time, because this is a mission, has a middle, a beginning, and an end, until the time when the signal is given and they are to play whatever role is they're going to play. There's going to be some in the leadership, it seems, some among the population, and perhaps they're even influencing us even as we speak with all the massive social changes that are kind of overthrowing the Judeo-Christian heritage of the West before our eyes. So it's a different purpose this time around, so it's a lot more clandestine. And that's why the Bible says they shall mingle their seed with the seed of man, which is what you described, they're removing semen from men, impregnating women, mixing the semen with their own DNA, impregnating women. And so it's a very different laboratory scientific way of creating these hybrids, different from what we have seen in the past. Are, are hybrids, and who knows, they could be our neighbors, uh, they could be colleagues at work, if you know, that Roper poll that came out in the 90s yeah. suggested the number of people that, that have been abducted. And uh, if if the hybrids are among us, are they capable of salvation or are they no. damned, essentially? 
They are an aberration that is never to exist. In the entire scriptural record, they always are destroyed. Uh, the Abraham fights them. That's the first instance of a war against them. Um, the sons of Israel, when they come into the land, they kill them. They're, they're, they're told by God to kill every single one of them. They are an aberration that should go, uh, Goliath is killed. They're an aberration. Because, you know, when you look at the story of David and Goliath, if David is a type of the Messiah, then Goliath is, is, is the type of the seed of the serpent who is called the Antichrist. So they lose. They're an aberration that's never to exist. The sons of God, their overlords, their fathers, they are arrested. Some have been jailed uh, before the flood, and four will be freed, we are told, and the time of the end. They have a purpose to play. They have a different, you know, standing, in, because they were created by God uh, for God's purposes. But they chose to do something that was never meant to exist. And these things are destroyed by God in the days before the flood and in the days after the flood, and even in our age, that is the end that awaits them. They, they're not part. They're not meant to be part of the story. Okay, so in the in the end times, Jesus tells us it will be like it was in the days of Noah. And in the days of Noah, you had, of course, this corruption of, and you had hybrids, and God flooded the earth to basically clean the uh, the gene pool. So, but you you suggest not only will it be like the days of Noah in the end times, it will also be like the days of Hanukkah, and we are heading into the season of Hanukkah. What do you mean by that? It'll be uh, like the days of Hanukkah. Well, yes. Just just one thing. The parable that describes the best the fate of the Nephilim is the wheat and tares, because God planted his seed in the garden, the devil planted his seed in the garden. That's the origin of the wheat and tares, but the tares are ripped out and destroyed and burnt, and the wheats are gathered and put in the barns of God. And so the tares represent the Nephilim through the ages. They look like the wheat, but they're not, and they come from the devil planting his seed in the garden. And the tares, that's who the tares are, sorry, and the wheat are the, the ones that God planted in the garden. And it seems that this has been going on from the beginning, and so we're so commingled together that it says that if the angels say, should we tear the tares out? And God says, no, if you do, you will be tearing my wheat out. Imagine if one of your ancestors had the genes that made him part of the other kingdom, but in him you existed, which were part of the kingdom of God. So, But there is a time God has put aside of judgment where he will take the tares and remove them and put the wheat in his barn, and the tares represent these hybrids and their bloodlines through the ages and in all their forms, and the wheat represent us. So us, the angels, these beings, the fallen angels, and God, we're having a very intimate story here. To come to the question that you asked about, um, what was your question? Hanukkah. Sorry? Well, Hanukkah. you say it, so, yeah, it, yeah we, we all have a minute here, so we've got to be brief. Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation in Jerusalem, then flee. And he says the abomination of desolation mentioned by Daniel the prophet and that was understood to be something that was completed um, under Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, it, it's something people can, you know, read about. It, there's a lot of writings and, and, and videos about that on YouTube. But Jesus resurrects that event and says, no, this was just a kind of a, a, a play, a small mock play. The real event is in the future. And the days of Antiochus Epiphanes were the days of Hanukkah, because... 
the Hellenistic um, world had Hellenized the priests of Israel, and even though they existed and they knew God and they knew of God and they knew his instructions, yet the priesthood of Israel had fallen asleep in darkness to the point where this guy was able to come and he said, let's sacrifice to Zeus and put his idol in the Holy of Holies and sacrifice a pig on, you know, on the, uh, the mercy seat. And then this group of, of priests, just a small group of priests, we, one family. We've got to wrap it up here quickly, Ali. And so what's happening is we, again, are living in a time where darkness is falling over the world. The Antichrist is not coming to a world that doesn't know of God or doesn't know God, but it's coming to a world that is forgotten about God, like the days of Hanukkah. But God will reinvigorate his light and send his son and his armies and his spirit and he and the, and the candles of Hanukkah represent the light of God. It will be okay. met with a great enlightenment that is on its way in the form of God returning to the earth. So we can really uh, feel secure. All right. Think again productions. Think again productions dot com. Ali, we crammed a lot in there. Well done. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Richard, for having me. Bye bye. All right. Think again productions dot com. All right. My thanks to Ryan White, Carlos Kajina. Back next week. So long for now. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.